Today's podcast is brought to you by TheEngagedInvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at EngagedInvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 34. So the other project that we'll be taking a look at is the is the Buffalo Central Terminal, and that this is even is more outrageous. Well, it is. Yeah. It, it's it's completely insane. And I only got to found out about this one in the same way as I have a lot of things. When we started working on the Niagara Hotel, the architect, one of the people that's working in the architect's office, said, "You know, if you like the Hotel Niagara, something you really got to see." So okay, well, what is it? This is train station, Buffalo. What a train station, Buffalo. Oh no, you got to see it. You got to see it. So. They took me down to see this thing, and it is an enormous vacant train station. It's been empty for close to 50 years now. The last train went out of it in 1970. The last Amtrak went out of it. And it is a giant train station that is larger than Union Station. And it is as spectacular. In fact, it's often used as a, as a stand-in for Grand Central in, in New York. Because same architecture, same It's an enormous place, and it is totally vacant. And there's a, there's a tower that comes with it on the side, and then vast outbuildings, and which were the baggage warehouses, and the whole. It was actually the head of a railway company at the time, so their offices were there. The building itself is close to three quarter million square feet, and there's 16 acres of land that comes with it, and we're acquiring another 16 acres of land beside it from the city of Buffalo for for the cost of the cost we're paying for this piece of land beside it, 16 acres is less than the cost of a typical studio apartment in Toronto. <laughs> but nobody else wanted it. I love these stories. But nobody wants it. I mean, it's been sitting there for 50 years. Well, you want it because you know what you're going to do with the train I station. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. But, you know, and, and it is going to be a, a conference and hotel type facility. But the building is so overwhelming. When you come in, and, and we'll show people pictures. And we'll say, we have this little 3D online model of it that we've built. And I can show them that and then say, you got to come and take a look. And say, yeah, yeah, so we should come and take a look. And they could have seen all these images. And the moment they come in through the concourse door and walk into the hall, the first reaction is always the same. Their eyes go to the ceiling and they say, holy shit. This is unbelievable. It really is an amazing space. I've been there at events because they do actually, they have been using it the for for you know little events on the side, concerts and and model train conferences and ghost tours and so on. There is a nonprofit foundation that controls this hotel right or this this uh, train station right now, and we are securing it from that foundation. It was actually set up by the city of Buffalo as a nonprofit. 
because they didn't know what to do with it. Well, they thought they did. Uh, they, when they repossessed it for taxes in the 70s, they resold it, known as a tax foreclosure, and uh, they sold it to this fellow who had a nice dog and pony show with fancy pictures and so on, and he was going to make a wonderful redevelopment and restore this landmark. So they said, great, wonderful, glad. Here's the keys, you know, you give us the money, so he bid it. What did he do? He stripped the building for salvage. Took $2 million worth of office furniture, marble from the counters, brass from the, the wickets, stripped the thing down and walked away. Really? And so the city was not too pleased because it is a grand old building. And so they took it back and they sold it again. Another guy came along and he had a grand, he had nice pictures, the same routine. But then this guy was more sincere. He genuinely did want to do the right thing, but he didn't have much experience and didn't have much money, it turned out. So after a few years, there was a suspicious fire and he tried to burn the place for insurance money. Um, and the FBI stepped in and, and uh, he was given uh, free accommodation for the rest of his life. And, um, you know, and the building was then repossessed by the city again. And so they said, this is no good. This is a landmark building. It is on the National Registry. And, and all these schnooks just keep wrecking it. So they set up what they call the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation. This was uh, 18 years ago. And the CTRC had a mandate. It's a volunteer corporation. Their mandate was to find an appropriate owner for the building, someone who would respect it and would restore it properly. So for 18 years, they have been interviewing prospective owners. And essentially, after 18 years, you can imagine they sort of got into a rut. They're so paranoid about making the wrong decision and selling it to the wrong person that everybody was always inadequate, you know. They just couldn't decide. So I met them three years ago. And I've been, you know, trying to convince them for those three years that, in fact, I had the, you know, I had the right attitude and would actually deliver on it. And, and finally, you know, we managed to strike a deal because they were able to look at the things I've done and say, well, yeah, you are a little bit of a nut, and uh, you might actually do this. <laughs> the reasonable people would never do this. So I have the, now I do have an arrangement with them, and we are gradually assuming ownership of this project, and we have quite a magnificent vision for it, which we'll be glad to explain to people at the time. Is there, can we have a look at the 3D online model? Uh, yes, I, I can send you, I can give you the link to that. Okay. It's, it's quite spectacular, the vision for the whole development. Now, we don't get into to the specific details of what the, the actual floor programs will be, but you'll see a model which will show the entire development, essentially what we are doing is um, we're addressing the fact that this that this uh, this grand building um, has has a couple of challenges. One is that it's so enormous, of course, but the second is that the the surrounding area is pretty depressing. I mean, it is in a neighborhood that that is beaten up, mm. and there are parts of Buffalo like that. And so the first thing that that you hear about, in fact. You know, every time I go across the border, I may, I have my U.S. visa now, but they still ask you, you know, so what purpose your visit? And I say, well, I'm going to this Buffalo Central Terminal for a meeting. And I say, well, what are you doing there? So we're going to restore it. Oh, wow. And everybody knows it. But they all say, yeah, you know, it's a great building, but oh, I don't know, the area there is pretty bad, you know. And it is. It's sort of run down, a lot run down. So what we are doing is we are taking the entire area and redeveloping and creating our own village there, a completely new division. So there will be a city surrounding it that is brand new. <laughs> That's pretty fascinating. 
And so, there's, there's a, anyways, we'll show you that and we'll explain the model at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So are, is this link, like, is this something that you want to, can share with every, like, can I put this in the show notes and share it with yes, everybody? You can. Or? Yes, you Okay, can. great. So email that to me and I'll put it up in the show notes after okay. afterwards. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Um, okay. Well, what are we doing now, Sandy? I, Man, this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. I love. I love. I, this. I, I thought I might ask uh, here. What's um? I mean, you've done all these, uh, you know, maybe high risk for some people projects and that. There must be some sort of a uh, system or something used to actually evaluate these projects, or is it just gut instinct on a lot of them? Well, it's gut instinct, but it's gut instinct with a, with a particular key two questions. Can I see a specific? very specific and economically viable use for the building, the property. The fact that it's neat looking is, is not enough. The fact that it is available at a good price may not even be enough. What are we going to do with it? And can we do something there that is not only visually you know, appealing, but is it gonna, how is it going to pay for itself? How can we make this sustainable on its own? And is there a demand for, for that vision? You know, I wouldn't have done the candy factory just because I thought it would be like a cool piece of architecture. I had to be satisfied that there were customers that would buy the units there. And then Niagara Falls I mean, didn't strike me there as a terribly difficult thing. Niagara Falls, hotel in Niagara Falls, hmm, would that work? I, you know, like I just don't understand why that was so difficult a model. But in the case of Buffalo, there there is a genuine... Um, I, I'm quite excited by Buffalo. There's a genuine demand there now. And what's happening in Buffalo, to use that example, is that Buffalo, you know, if you've been through Buffalo, it's a city with some scruffy areas, but it's also a city that has enormous amount of grand historic architecture. There's more Frank Lloyd Wright buildings in, in, in Buffalo than anything but Chicago. You know, it, it is, it is truly an impressive city architecturally. And what's happening is that the downtown is 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 becoming um, is resurging as people move out of the conventional neighborhoods and companies move out of the conventional buildings and go into these grand historic spaces as they're being restored and revived and they have so many of them that it's becoming the dominant trend. So it's the historic buildings that are now taking over the spirit of Buffalo and Buffalo is starting to get real momentum as a tourism destination. Because people are coming to see the buildings themselves. And there's a building just down the street from, from the terminal it's called the Larkin Building, and it's a giant soap complex. The Larkin Soap Company was the first mail-order company in North America as part of Sears Roebuck. And they had this enormous building where they produced soap. And it was actually designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, and they had an office building. It was quite magnificent. That was destroyed. But the entire complex is this huge complex. When this Larkin Soap Company went out of business, it sat empty for years. Like, you know, as, as the candy factory did. It was the scale larger than the scale of the Sears building in downtown Toronto. So this enormous building sat empty. And a fellow bought it who had just sold his, his deli company and he had some spare money. He decided, I'm going to take this building and restore it and see if I can make an office market, develop office tenants. And it was a huge success. It all had to be done with private with his own money. But he restored this massive warehouse and turned it into a funky office complex. And it was full. It became full, and it is generating the highest rents in Buffalo right now because of its character. And it's right it's outside the core, very close to Central Terminal. And that model has been enormously successful. 
So we're not invent reinventing the wheel at all. We're simply copying. Plus, we're building a hotel complex that will be a destination. I mean, I look at this space. You walk into that space, and even now, even in its somewhat decrepit state right now, they're turning down requests every day for weddings and conferences and events because the space is such a wow space. Hmm. So all we're simply doing is is running with that. And I've had the experience of doing it at King Street and in other buildings, you know, seeing people's faces light up when they walk into that space. If I see customers liking it, well, I'm going to run with that. If, I, if I'm brought a property and I can't think of what to do with it, I don't care how cool looking it is. I don't care if they give it to me for a dollar. If I don't <laughs> see a use for it, I'm going to say thanks, but no thanks. You yes. have to have a use. All right. Well, okay. So I guess that. Sorry. Go ahead, Sandy. No, go for it. You got something on that? Well, I was. No, no, you do it. <laughs> I was going to steal your question. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, uh, my, my next question um, was was more so um, to educate some of our listeners on on some first steps. I mean, if someone's looking to get involved in development, what should they be doing? What should they be um, looking to get in, into starting out? Well, first of all, the, the word development is a pretty wide one, and, and for the average individual yeah. starting out, it probably represents you know, buying and renovating a house or, mm-hmm. or a small, like a duplex or something, or a small commercial complex. And there's nothing wrong with staying at that level. And that's one thing I try to throw at people is, you know, if you don't want to be this sort of you know, Don Quixote character like myself who, who tilts at windmills and has grand visions that often blow up in his face. You know, <laughs> it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with staying at, at mass, at replicating a formula over and over again. You don't have to do something that's exotic. In fact, it's a lot safer to just keep it in a range where you can finance it yourself. You know, one, one sort of weird piece of advice which goes against often a lot of these networking events and seminars and so on, is I am not an advocate of partnerships. You know, where you find this investor who's going to finance and you'll do the work and so on. It's, especially in development, it can be a very painful experience. You know, I would say try and keep it up to the level where you can finance it with your own resources and learn from that. And there's nothing, so there is no such thing as, like, I do a little course on the development, but, you know, I, I subtitle the course is, you know, learn whether you really want to be a developer. Right. You know, once you've taken the course, you may, you know, it may be the best value is to realize that there are other ways of enjoying the development industry than being the developer. Mm-hmm. It's enormously risky. It's very stressful. And there is no formula. It's like, a hockey coach. Well, you know, you can't ask the hockey coach, well, you know, we're the owners here. We've got money at stake. So you have to tell us exactly how this next game is going to unfold. Right. What are the shifts you're going to use for this game? And what are you going to pull with goalie? I don't know. I'm the coach. You can throw me in there to, to, you know, to control the, the team during that game. If you don't think I can do it, don't hire me. And as a developer, and I'm talking at a, you know, at a larger level now, um, but it, it, at a small level, it, it's the same. The development business is a giant poker game. You are playing poker not just with the city. You are playing poker with the trades. You're playing poker with the realtors. You're playing poker with with suppliers. You're playing poker with a lot of things. And every day you are basically showing up and dealing with the challenge of the day. And the first thing you have to realize is it doesn't change. It's like that all the way through. 
you don't sort of reach this level where you're sort of on autopilot and everything just runs smoothly. You know, you're 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 in there every day, you know, basically dealing with the challenges of the day. And I've had people call and say, well, you know, I'd just like to, to intern with you. I could be, a, you know, an apprentice and, and learn from you. I said, ah, completely ridiculous. There's no way I would do that. Because you'll think I'm a complete nut bar if you watch what I say and do for the day. I am <laughs> constantly, you know, I, I, I'm, I may be unpredictable, apparently. I may look I'm, I'm like I, I'm just an unreasonable person. I, I may have to, you know, play poker with the city and say, oh, I'm, real, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this development. I'm leaving. You guys are completely impossible to deal with. No, am I leaving when I've got already a whole bunch of money at stake? Not very likely, but I have to make them think that I would. If some tradesman comes in and says, this is my price, am I going to say, oh, wow, that is such a great price. Here, let me sign. Oh, can I give you some money up front? Anything <laughs> that comes in, I'm going to say, you got to be kidding. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I mean, I, there's no way to pay money. you got to do better than that. I mean, you, you have to be constantly sort of, uh, you, you have to be challenging everything. And if you're not doing that, you know, it's just not going to be economically viable. But it's the unpredictability. A lot of the most successful developers, I mean, they have a reputation. In fact, any successful private developer, you know, is generally considered to be, you know, a difficult and unreasonable person and, you know, a little bit unstable and, and, and sometimes very rude. Um, <laughs> because that's part of, that's part of the strategy. If people know that you're reasonable and if people know that you're predictable and safe, well, you don't have any leverage. You know, the successful developer or generals in war are not the reasonable people, the ones who prosper in peacetime and, you know, at the Pentagon and are very pleasant in meetings and reasonable. You know, it, it's the it's the, the Pattons and the Rommels of the world who, the moment the war was over, you know, were complete disasters because they're, they're, you know, they're bull in a china shop people. Unpredictable, spontaneous, gut instinct, but that makes them dangerous. Well, that is a very interesting answer. Definitely not what I was expecting out of you. Yeah, I love but, that answer. Very... <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm just explaining okay. why I may have this. And most record, like Trump is a classic example. On a personal basis, he is not as, even despite the crazy things I see him saying in the news, the person I know is not like that. He's actually... You know, a pretty smart cookie. Mm. Oh, I think yeah. he's just taking himself a little seriously right now. But, <laughs> you know, the, the irony is that if you are unpredictable and you are a loose cannon, that gives you power. Which you need because, you know, it is a the development business is, is a long, frustrating process of grinding down the system, of overcoming the obstacles. There are projects that it is not uncommon for a development of scale to take anywhere from 5 to 10, sometimes 15 to 20 years. And in this age of sort of immediate gratification and dot-com billionaires in one year, that's, that's mm -hmm. pretty hard to, you know, to think in those terms. But it is a long, slow process. This, this loft conversion here at the Stinson School, it's been five years and it's not quite finished. And it's been a nightmare putting it together. I should have given up a long time ago. 
Yeah. Sandy actually lived in one of those. Yes, didn't you did. You? I did. Yeah. It's come and gone, and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been. It was very difficult putting it together. It was very difficult building it. I'm still dealing with the repercussions of having a bad partnership with a builder. And uh, you know, it, 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 but it has started a market in Hamilton. Because when I came here eight years ago. And I met with all the usual suspects. I mean, I was told to come to Hamilton because there was potential here, and that's true. But it wasn't quite there yet. So I met with all the, you know, the the, the reasonable people and the smart people and the well-known, you know, everything from Tom Weiss and and you know all the major, the major characters in politics and mayor and you know and Ron Foxcroft and and Bensonelli and all the the people who knew. Lots of things about Hamilton and it's real. And they all said the same thing: is you know this just won't work. People don't buy condos here, and if they do, they won't pay more than a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars. And you know, it's just, you're out of your depth here, and you don't understand Hamilton, and blah blah blah. And um, the more I heard it, the more I thought, geez, you know, there's a vacuum here, and there is potential. And none of these people, and a lot of them are now doing developments. People who told me it wouldn't work. And they were watching to see if it would work. I mean, I sort of got pushed out on the ice to see if it would crack. And so the uh, Stinson School was the first sort of expensive upscale loft condo. Uh, and we started it, you know, at 250 a square foot, give or take. And uh, and I was told it's nuts. We were 100 bucks a foot above reality. And now you look at the projects that are on the market, uh, and they're looking at 400 plus a square foot. Mm-hmm. And this has not been that long. It hasn't been 15, 20 years. It's just been a few years. And people are starting to buy into the Hamilton market. It's been a tough slog convincing realtors, even in this market, because the builders were not paying commissions in the past. Well, I think all the realtors are aware of it now, that's for sure. They're aware of it now, but they're still not showing up in many numbers. You know, we're selling most of our space <clears> to... To uh, individual direct, yeah. and the agents that are coming that are actually doing the deals are more often from outside of Hamilton. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It, it's frustrating because you know it really is. It's a real product, but I think it's been so many years of regarding uh, real estate as being houses and condominiums as being sort of not not really real estate, you know. And the downtown, in particular, of Hamilton has had a had a you know. A, bit of a rocky image problem, more so than Hamilton in general, because there are parts of it that are somewhat beaten up, but in the last year, it's like you can feel this difference here. There aren't that many deals anymore. You know, people come to Hamilton and oh, I can get the deal for, for 150 grand, I can get a big house. Well, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, yeah, even even in the last year, it's, it's a massive change. Absolutely, and and so when the people are you know looking around for the picking over the leftovers, there aren't any leftovers anymore. Now, mm-hmm. three hundred, four hundred is normal for even a, a decent house. I mean, there's there's some there's some of the cheapos that you know, but you're going to get a, a wood frame house that needs an incredible amount of work located beside an auto body shop. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get a nice house for under three to four hundred. And sales in this neighborhood. Are now getting into the five and six and seven and eight hundred thousand range in the downtown east, which was inconceivable. We yeah, right around houses. right around the lofts there, Stinson. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing two houses across the street that they were restoring. 
I wouldn't have thought of restoring those houses. You know, I'm putting them up at seven and a half. And people are now starting to look at them and think, well, it sounds like it must be nice. Two years ago, they would have said, you're nuts. Well, they still say that. But, I mean, we're, we're still getting, now we're getting people to take it seriously. So, Harry, is it um, is it these projects themselves? Like, what is it that motivates you and drives you? Is it these just the creativity that it takes to complete these projects, or what is it? Uh, well, right now I don't really have any choice. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I've got so, so many obligations in it. doing these projects that you do you have to deliver. Um, yeah. But there is a sense of of fulfillment. Uh, and self-respect and seeing them through. And you know, when one thing was finished, it was it was such a charge to be able to just go across the street to the Starbucks and stand in the corner of King and Young in the northwest corner and and, and see people take pictures of the building. Like, tourists look at it and say, "Wow, is that ever cool?" And have people come into the building and say, "We've heard so much about it." And even now, I mean, I can I, I can mention the building to to people in a business meeting in Buffalo. And, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I stayed at One King. That's such a cool place. It, it, that's quite fulfilling. For sure. And, and you know, to, to leave this mark on, on, the, you know, on the community in a very permanent way and to have, you know, sort of created some trends. Now, it hasn't always been fun, and there's still challenges with it. But in the end, I think when the, when the final report card is done, uh, this will be some interesting accomplishments. And I'm, I'm, I'm figuring I'm just just getting started with these. The States is such just a great new frontier. I don't see the opportunity in Canada right now as much. No. That's interesting. That's too bad in a way too, because I mean, as cool as the as the um projects are that you're doing, it would be really interesting to to well, I'm gonna take that out of there. <laughs> but but well, let, I would let, be let kind me, of cool for you finish. to let me finish that statement. I don't see the opportunity in Canada in the sense that right now the, the dollar figures are, are extreme and, and, and uh, it's hard to see it work. But I'm hearing more and more often from people that I still have contact with in Toronto to say, well, you know, you really should come back and do a project in Toronto because we got all this stuff all over the place, but it all looks the same. It's just generic. I could, we desperately need something with some flair now. You know, there just isn't any uniqueness. And so I do keep my eyes open for something that, that might have that potential. It's going to be a challenge given the numbers, but I'd very much like to to, to do another hotel-type operation in Toronto. Yeah, well, that would be cool. I, I would I would be interested for you to do that too. But I'll probably do it from the base of the States, as, you know, as returning from or, or as a... Is part of a, a network that has had, you know that had momentum south of the border because you know the reality is that um, that that's often the case with Canadians is, is that they they struggle away and with the glass ceiling in Canada you know don't don't get don't get too big for your britches here and when they end up going to the states whether it's in entertainment or architecture or business you know you hit a home run down there and then all of a sudden you know from being laughed at in Canada oh he's crazy. And you know you hit you start to hit the big time in the states. Well, you know here's a Canadian, you know, this Canadian born so and so, Canadian born Frank Gehry, Jim Carrey, Martin Short, all these people. You know, in Canada, it's really hard to you know to soar. 
can you put a Canadian flag or like a little hockey player or a moose on top of the Buffalo train station? Uh, I think that we would have to also have an American flag there too. That would be yeah. a little challenging. There's, it's, it's a very, very proud country. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, is there, is there, do you have a piece of info or advice that's always stuck with you or one that's helped you along the way? Well, this is a real estate seminar and tape and such, so I'll put it on the real estate context. Is um, make an offer, and I say that in a general sense that you know I get people uh, all the time asking, "Well, I want to look at this property, and I wonder, I don't know if they take this, and I'm wondering, like, I, I, I say, have you made an offer yet? Well, no, but well, why not? It's free. How much would you pay for that? Well, I don't think they because well, have you tried? Well, I don't. Well, just come up, just write it up. You know, it's just get an fill in the blanks offer form. You know, I used to make offers in properties all the time. That that you know that was they'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's what I'm prepared to offer at that price. This property is interesting to me, and there's nothing wrong with just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. If you do a high volume of, of offers, somebody will accept it. Eventually. Right. You know, you it's the make whole one a day. It's, yeah, it's the whole uh, go for no uh, strategy. Fine. Try and get try and get yourself a hundred no's on offers, and I'm sure you'll get at least one yes. Oh, you will get out of if you did a hundred offers, I would bet you you'd get half a dozen that would be accepted or signed back at a level that you will be surprised at. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes you make that offer and the person tells you, go away, I'm disgusted, this is ridiculous, oh boy, I would never consider it. And then, you know, a month later, the agent calls you back and says, ah, I was wondering how they're still interested in this property. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, so what seems to be the problem? Well, we haven't uh, had that uh, many offers uh, <laughs> on the property. And, and all of a sudden, you're in charge. <laughs> and it doesn't cost you a nickel. It's not even like a dollar an offer. Just make the offer. You don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to insult the vendor. Make the offer. I have gotten properties over the years where I just went in and made an offer that, that I said, look, I'm sorry if it offends you, but this is what I feel it's genuinely worth, and this is what it's worth to me. If you don't accept it now, you know, it's okay if we talk later. And oftentimes I've found that they do call back later, or you don't hear from them for a while, or sometimes they say, you know, we just want out. You know, there's some reason it's an estate sale or, or there's reasons why they're comfortable or they've bought something else. The house I bought in Hamilton, I did not plan on buying. In fact, I had not even planned on buying a house in general. I was just looking at property because I was trying to figure out whether there a place I could, you know, I'd like to live here. So I was just looking at certain kinds of properties that, you know, were, and there was one that I was quite fascinated with and, and the, um, and I told the agent uh, at the time, I, you know, I love that property, but, you know, I'm just not in a position to pay what he wants and, and the terms they want uh, right now. So, um, you know, let, let's keep looking. And, 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 and they came back and said, Look, just, just make an offer, please. It turned out that the person with the property had already bought another property and had already closed on that property and was, was bridging and was bleeding to death on the bridging. Mm-hmm. And had bought that property that I was offering on years ago, and had made a decent upside on it. And they accepted my offer. 
And it was an absurd offer. At least I, I thought that... it was absurd. They took it. So then I, I had think to that would be the best position to be in is have them call you up and say, come on, please just make an offer. <laughs> well, sometimes they don't say that, but they don't have to. If you like the property and you see what you can do with it and you worked out a number that you think is realistic, just try it on for size. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, okay, big deal, move on. No, you know, don't be embarrassed. You don't have to insult them. Just say, here's what it's worth to me. You will be surprised that at some point in these multiple offers you're making, you will get an acceptance. And then you don't have to worry about it. You don't want to get caught in these bidding wars. You don't want to be agonizing over everything. And then I was at an auction once in Toronto for the Adelaide Court Theater. Well, actually, it was just the Adelaide Court building at the time. And it was a vacant sort of temple-like building on Adelaide Street. It's now owned by the Liberty Group, part of the Rosewater Supper Club. And it's a magnificent building, you know, big columns in front, 30-foot ceilings inside, spectacular space. And so it was, a by, it was a sale by the city of Toronto. So I went to the to the preview, and there was all these people there, they big-time designers and rich people and so on going through it, and name brands, and I'm going through there saying, whoa, I am out of my league here. Thank you for a neat building, but, I, you know, these guys are going to run circles around me dollar-wise, so I'm not even going to bother. So a few weeks later, I got a phone call from, the, from somebody saying I'm calling from the city of Toronto and doing a survey. And uh, we noticed that you went to the Adelaide Court preview. Uh, we're just wondering why you didn't bid on the building. And you know, I said, like, do you have nothing else to do? We're <laughs> doing a survey on why people didn't bid. I mean, yeah. it's gone. And he said, no, it's not. Nobody bid. You're kidding. He said, well, nobody bid. We had lots of people, but nobody bid. Wow. It's an unusual building. I said, well, fine, I'll give a bid. And he says, too late. So they had another preview. And they had another auction, and this time everybody tipped off, and so it sold to a very large amount of money to Liberty Group, but nobody bid. Hmm. And, and you know, it, it just, you can't, there's nothing lost. Just try it. Just try it. And that you get used to it after a while. Then you just don't take it seriously. You throw an offering, fine. You throw an offering. Not this agonizing and endless, you know, number crunching and so on. Believe me, if your numbers show after weeks and weeks of, or days or even hours of number crunching and doing it, if it actually looks sensible, it's probably gone. Right. Yeah. It's too late. I know Sandy loves putting lots and lots of offers in for his clients. <laughs> so, so, so everyone just uh, keep them coming in and he'll take care of you like he always does, right? Yes, um, Harry, yes, of course. How can people get in touch with you? Well, actually, it's surprisingly easy. Uh, I have a phone in my desk and I answer it. So it's 289-389-1022. Personally, you answer it sometimes. I do a person, which which spooks people because they, they yeah. I just want to leave a message. Too bad, you know. You got me. You got to actually say now. So you have to speak coherently. Um, so <laughs> it's two eight nine three eight nine ten twenty two, and my email, which I also look at, is Harry Stinson, one hundred the number one zero zero, at gmail dot com. 
Okay. And I you do know, not have made a cell it really phone. easy for everyone to get in, in touch with you. Well, you know, I think you can come to the Simpsons school, walk in the front door, you know. Well, you can't anymore. It's locked. <laughs> <laughs> Just bang on it until you come down. Oh, yeah. We love the banging. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're going to put these links in the show notes and everyone can go over there if they missed that phone number. You, I think you're the second. I, I think there's only one other person that's given out their phone number on the show. Most well, people don't do that. I, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, not many people will actually call. <laughs> uh, and if they do, I reserve the right to say, you know, you're breaking up. I can't. You're breaking up, you know. <laughs> Going through a tunnel. Well, yeah. hey, what what should people contact you for? If someone's listening right now, what kind of person should be calling you maybe for some advice or maybe to invest? Or what? what's the... Well, there's two two reasons. One is we do think that this this is... Hotel Niagara is probably uh, the best investment that we can offer right now. It, is, it has cash flow. It makes sense. It's actually fun to be part of. So there's that investment. Uh, the other thing is that I actually do a course called Development U, and it, it's um, it's uh, uh, once a month uh, for a year, so it's 12 sessions, and it's basically the you know, inside of the development business, and we cover everything from well, the mundane parts of construction, design, to sales and marketing, and and you know financing, and just all the elements that that you uh, can run into. And then we do some, we do our our road trips. We will, you know, for example, you know, go into the Gibson School during construction as it's going along. You know, you'll know, see the progress of the hotel. Um, you know, we so I do actually some first-hand stuff. Most of it's at the Stenson School here, where we either use our, our office or one of the one of the suites. Um, but those are the two major things: is the course um, or the hotel investment. And well, the last thing I guess is is to to talk about our funding process. We we set up an RSP eligible fund, and it was tough to do. But I think I'm the only person in real estate who can actually um, as a mechanism by which people can invest in. in their own RSP in investment real estate without being a first-time buyer or all the other, you know, accredited investors or something. We made it uh, possible to use your RSP and uh, earn a very good return on it, um, you know, without, uh, without jumping through hoops and, let's say, being a first-time buyer. It was, it was challenging, but uh, we have it now. Well, very interesting. You That's shared a lot with us. And um, for the development, you is that just is it? What is the website for that? Uh, there isn't really a website. Um, it's, it's just something I do on a quiet basis. Uh, okay. But uh, it is just called it's, it's thirty nine ninety five, so three thousand nine hundred ninety five. Or if they invest in one of our funds, it's free. Really? Oh, wow. So if they go in the fund and they're earning twelve, fourteen percent of their money, they're also getting a free course. Sounds good to me. Sandy just fell off his chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's not totally free because they're in the fund. So obviously my incentive is to put them in the fund. It makes yeah. it more possible for me to acquire buildings uh, spontaneously. Yeah, it's a win-win. So it, it does work out. And, and as part of that, I mean, I, with, with a lot of the classes, I mean, people do bring their 
you know, their their own challenges and properties. So I'm constantly getting calls from people, which I will take from people in the course. I don't take these calls from people who just call out of the blue and say, so I've got this property, I want to do something with, and I'd like free advice. Well, I don't, free, don't do free advice anymore. You know, it's uh, be part of the course, and, and then I will gladly give you my input on it. But, um, you know, there's too much writing to be just giving people free input because, frankly, if I don't know any of the background, I mean, someone calls me and says, oh, i got this property and I want your advice. And, well, I'd like to see the property. Well, no, 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 no I just want your advice. Well, great, you know. It's like calling up a doctor and say, i got this pain, so what should I do? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Can I? Can you come to the office? No, no, I don't want to pay for that. I just want to advice free. Oh, yeah, there comes a point where you can't answer everybody's questions. They've got to, they've got to understand that, you know, we all have our things that we're doing, busy, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, advice is uh, worth what you pay for it. That's true. Worst were uh, the, um, what's the line? I can't remember the line. Someone once said the worst advice ever was, uh, was is always free advice or something along those well, lines. Well, generally it's true, though. You know, if, if you're using a realtor and you're generally a good client with that realtor, they will usually give you, your honest opinion. They value you as a client. But you just call up every realtor in town and expect that they're going to give you honest advice uh, and you're not really a regular client or never done anything. They're not going to do that. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. people get these, these emails from, you know, blast emails from some realtor in Toronto saying, you know, you have been invited to the private VVVIP reception for a once in a lifetime opportunity to get into the ground floor at this massive complex. You never <laughs> heard of the guy. Yeah. Well, you sort of vaguely know them. Well, do you think that this is really the ground floor opportunity? You were like, you know, tier four on the sucker level. (laughs) Yeah, we we actually get a bunch of those. Uh, I just got one the other day. Well, actually, my wife did. I don't even know how she got on their mailing list. She got invited to a huge uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as well in real estate just the other day. And there's a special incentive commission involved. you got to wonder, like, why are they paying 4%? Well, this has been really, really interesting. It always is whenever I hear you speak. So I, again, want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. And you know what? We'll probably split this up into two shows. Might have to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too long to listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty but, interesting. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's great stuff. Absolutely. Well, I, I, do, I do think people will enjoy this tour. So um, you know, if you can make it, Come down, see the Hotel Niagara, see the Buffalo Central Terminal. It's just fascinating buildings to visit. And, uh, and you see the, the potential across the border. It's, um, I think the United States is a fascinating place. I would say, however, though, it is also a dangerous place. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people I see investing in real estate in the United States who, um, who, who are getting excited because it seems to be a great deal compared to Toronto. And everything is a great deal compared to Toronto. So, oh, yeah. So, you know, if you see this house that's only, you know, one ninety nine, wow, look what I'm getting. Well, it's a fair chance it's probably worth less than one ninety nine, and they need the sucker from Canada to buy it because yeah. the locals aren't buying them. You know, be very cautious, on, on, especially if it's an environment where you are physically not. You want to have yeah, properties, investment properties, you want to be able to drive by and check it out regularly. Yeah. 
And so as far as this tour goes, we're going to keep everyone posted on the website, I guess. Okay. Or, well, it's probably too late for me to say that, but <laughs> we um, we will keep everybody posted and maybe we'll send out a mailer as far as when this tour is going to be once we get it all lined up. Thank you again. Really Thank appreciate you. your time tonight. All righty. Okay. Yeah, Have a good night. Pleasure. Bye. Bye.